Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Mercy is more. We pray that you do know that truth and that reality and that it is uh, your governance and your lead as you do life. And so what a blessing it is to have Aaron leading us in song. I never heard that song that he sang this morning, uh, but the, the theme that I took away from that, it's not the title of the song, but I offer my life. I offer my life. And I truly believe that as Aaron sang those words, it is a testimony of his life. Um, And I pray that it is a testimony of us, the church, that we would offer our life unto our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what a blessing it is to have someone who leads us to sing songs that are true of God, that make much of him not much of us because many churches in our day and in our area are making much of man and not making much of the king and I pray that we never lose sight of that equation that he must increase we must decrease and so my prayer this morning as I get the honor and privilege to stand in the pulpit this morning uh, is to make much of our King Jesus, to make much of the God of the Bible. And so I pray that you are encouraged this morning. I pray that you, like me, are convicted. I pray that you, like me, that we would submit unto the Holy Spirit's leading in our life this morning. And so many of you knew or know that Alan and Tracy uh, have been traveling around the world, uh, visiting some of our ministry partners in Central Asia. They are back with us, um, but he will be back in the pulpit next Sunday. But it is my privilege to stand here in the stead of my friend and our pastor, Alan, and to deliver God's word unto us this morning. And I have entitled this morning's message, Where is Your Confidence? You see, where we place our confidence or hope will determine our resolve. Sadly, the church and society are anemic when it comes to resolve. Many inside and outside the church are good at talking, but church, we must be a people of resolve, being firmly determined to do something. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit would awaken us today by the word of God to be the people of God that our Lord desires. When our confidence is anchored in the Lord and his word, we too, like the great saints of the Bible, will walk in humble obedience. And so if you would be so kind as to turn in your copy of God's word uh, to Psalm 125. Psalm 125, and I will read Psalm 125 and then try to unpack it for us and help us as we seek to do life in a real world. Psalm 125, we find these words. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As a mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. From this time forth and forever more, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. 
lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. According to God's word, the church is to be made up of those who are born again. We use the nomenclature Christians, saved, redeemed, or regenerate to describe those who are in Christ. Now, some of you might be seated in this auditorium this morning, and this is not you. You are merely here because maybe your dad encouraged you to come this morning. Maybe you're here this morning because a neighbor was so kind as to give you a ride. Or maybe a co-worker invited you. And so maybe you are here, but you are not part of the redeemed. You are not saved. You have not been eternally transformed into the glory of the one who came and gave his life unto us. And so whether you are part of the redeemed this morning or you are lost still yet in your sins. This morning, I pray that we would hear from the word of God and that we would understand what the Lord has revealed about himself to all of us this morning. And that is we are to trust in the Lord. I have labeled this as our thesis because I believe the psalmist and actually the entirety of God's word is aiming at convincing humanity to trust in the Lord. So, verse 1 tells us, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. You want to be immovable and abiding forever? What do you do? You trust in the Lord. I believe this is the goal of mankind. But for those of us in Christ, we have already admitted our inadequacies. Yet for some reason, we still struggle more than we care to admit with pride, which causes us to trust too much in ourselves and too little in the God of the universe. Thus, our confidence is shaky at best because the foundation of our confidence is not solid. So this morning, as we begin, I just wonder, would you and would I be honest enough with ourselves and with God to, to say and to analyze where do we put our trust? What do you trust in? Please understand that I honestly believe that the majority, if not all of us, if asked individually this morning, would respond, I trust in the Lord. You're here this morning at the early service. So I believe that we would confess this if we were asked straight up, but I wonder, does the rhythm of our life say that we trust in the Lord? And so maybe this morning you might just just jot down on the notes you're taking or jot down on your bulletin or jot down on your friend's forehead, I don't care, but an evaluative, evaluative number, one to 10, of where is your trust in the Lord? Not where's my trust, but where is your trust in the Lord? If you are rating yourself on a scale of one to 10, 10 being complete trust, which none of us have, so don't even give yourself a 10, don't be the Ryan Flint of evaluations and just automatically give the best, 
Be a man or woman of integrity to critically think and examine yourself to say, where would you evaluate yourself in trust of the Lord? Because I believe that we all need to grow in our trust in the Lord. And so maybe a better way to analyze and to evaluate would, would be maybe a compare and contrast. What are things that you place above the Lord? What are things that are, are um, glimmering? What are things that are drawing your trust away from the Lord? Meaning, what, what do you place your confidence? Because as we live in this, in this society of shifting sand and, and so many things are vying for our attention, I wonder, are we supremely and are we resolved to trust in the Lord or are we trusting in things like money, fame or prestige, power, popularity? Because we oftentimes criticize young people when they, are, when they are pulled by peer pressure. But what I've discovered, the older I get, the more that, that temptation is there to be the parent that other people are, to be the employee that other people are. And we compare ourselves to other people and we want to look good in the eyes of others rather than looking good before our king. And rather than being good, might we substitute a word such as righteous? Are we a righteous people? I mean, what is, and I ask this all the time, what do people think about Beaverdam? Do you understand that by your lifestyle, you are displaying who the people of Beaverdam are? And so, so go you, so goes the image of this church in this community. And not just this church, which is valuable as that is, but the image bearer of who we represent, the God who establishes his church. And so, what type of image bearer are you? What would it look like for you to trust in the Lord? Seriously, what do you need to lay down, give up, or confess this morning? Because I believe there is something, if not multiple things, that all of us kind of cleave to that competes with God in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our walk with the Lord. And so this morning's message has been entitled, Where is Your Confidence? Because I truly believe that our church is full of people like me who know how to play the game of church, but unfortunately are weak in our faith, which leads to pathetic obedience. Therefore, we need a grander view of God and more realistic view of self. And I believe we see this in Psalm 125. This morning, we have parachuted into the largest book in scripture. And we've, we've specifically landed in the 125th Psalm, a Psalm of Ascent. And I believe that, that scholar Jim Hamilton offers some helpful insights into understanding this superscription translated as a sense in Psalms 120 to 134. He believes these 15 poetic songs of ascent are songs of the going up. That is songs of the return from exile. And that they are about the hope that God will enact the future salvation through the future king from David's line. The scepter of wickedness will not reign. Amen and praise the Lord. Today, we find ourselves living in the already but not yet, right? We're living on this side 
of King Jesus, right? When this, when this poem, when this psalm is penned, right, they're looking forward to the coming Jesus. We look back understanding that Jesus has come, he has died, he has ascended, he reigns with the Father, and we today have hope. But we understand that we live in a real world. It's difficult, it's hard, right? And so we, we know Jesus, many of us, but yet we still struggle. We have temptations and we long for glory. We long to be removed from these temporary tents, this temporary flesh that is weak and is frail and is decaying and falling apart. We long for the day when we are eternally glorified. So we, in, in an essence, are, are longing for that ascent. We too are exiles. As we transgress, as we, as we uh, tarry on this ball of earth for the moment, we long for the eternal, for the ever being with our Father. And so our goal this morning is to understand how God changes everything through Christ and gives us hope. He gives us confidence. He gives us supreme confidence. And so I have, I have established, I think, that there are three motives from this text that, that help us to achieve our goal or our thesis this morning, that we are to be people who trust in the Lord. So let's discover three motives as to why we can and should trust in the Lord from Psalm 125. Our first motive comes from verse two. God is engrossing. God is engrossing. Verse two tells us, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You see, Jerusalem is located on a mountain. Right, And so we, we discover in Genesis 22 uh, that, that Isaac, which this is a, a fact that I didn't understand, so I went to Israel and just was open to the reality that do you understand that in uh, Genesis 22, when, when Abraham goes to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah, that that's the same place, the same location that Solomon builds the temple. We know it now as Jerusalem, that landmass where the temple is built. And so we, we discover that that's where the, the temple is built, but more importantly, that's where Jesus comes and is crucified in our place years later, right? And so we see this reality that is going on there. And so we understand that Jerusalem is located on a mountain which is surrounded by other larger mountains. And so us living here in the foothills of East Tennessee, we understand that, that there can be a mountain with larger mountains around it. And the folks in Jerusalem, they knew this, like we're ignorant in many regards of geography outside the United States, uh, just like we, we traveled to the beach and we were going through places and back roads. And anyway, we're, I'm ignorant of, of a lot of geography in America. But in, in, in Israel, they would have known this as a psalmist is using these specific words. He's using them to paint a picture in their heads of the truth and the reality of who God is, Right? He, 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 he chooses, the, the psalmist chooses these words specifically to, to embody and to, to, to paint the picture that God is a protective God. 
Just like the mountains are a protective wall, the poet here is using familiar imagery to describe the relationship of the triune God with his people. And I chose the word engrossing because I want us this morning to understand that God surrounds us, protects, provides, and cares for us like a, like a father bear hugging his toddler, right? And so when that father bear hugs his toddler, right, that toddler is safe and secure. No one is gonna get them. No one, they have no fear. They have no doubts because that dad holds them. Friends, do we have that faith in our God that he is so engrossing that his bear hug is much mightier, it is much more secure than any relationship that you have ever and will ever experience on this earth? God is an engrossing God. Those who don't walk with the Lord and read his word often wrongly believe the God of the Bible is distant and uninvolved. And I think sadly, we as Christians, we we perpetuate this this ideology that God is just some distant deity that, that doesn't really involve himself with his creation. And friends, I want us to be a people that flip the script, be a people that that don't buy into that false ideology, that false theology of deism, that there's a creating God that puts the earth in motion and then backs up and doesn't engage with it. We, as people of the book, understand that God, cover to cover, is a God who engages with his creation. How does God engage with his image bearers? Well, I think just three brief ways that I want to encourage us this morning with ways that he engages with us engages with us are these. <clears throat> Number one, he speaks. He speaks. God, from the very first chapter in Genesis, is a God who speaks. He speaks the world into creation. He still speaks today. Not through your Cheerios, not through zodiac signs, not through sky, cloud configurations. He speaks how? He speaks through his word. But sadly, we as Christians today believe that he is an unengaged and uninvolved deity because guess what? We don't take the time to hear from him by opening his word and reading it. It's not gonna happen by osmosis. We must engage with the God of the Bible. We must read God's word. He is a God who speaks, praise be his name. Not only does he speak, but he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to redeem. Our redeemer stepped out of heaven into creation. He lived for some 33 years. He was tested, he was tried, he was, he was put through the crucible of this life, but yet he performed flawlessly so that he could go to the cross for the sins of you and I to redeem us. Jesus was sent. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He is our redeemer. But not only did Jesus come for us, we know that after he was was killed, was buried and resurrected, he ascended to heaven. And on our third point is he sent the Holy Spirit. Right, he sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell us as believers. 
After defeating sin and death in our place, Jesus ascended back to the Father and sent us the Holy Spirit to comfort, to guide, convict, and direct us. Our God engages with us. That should be great news for us this morning. That should lift, that should put wind in our sails to face tomorrow. I could go on, on all day sharing insights from scripture as to how God engages with this creation. But instead, let me just share just a couple of verses, one from the Old and one from the New Testament. Psalm 34, 17 and 18. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 tells us this. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In the New Testament, we find in 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7 reveals casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Why will we not give our burdens over to the Lord? Friends, many of us are facing difficult days. We've got many issues that come at us. They may be health related, they may be relationship bound, they may be um, money, finance, whatever. We, life happens, we've all got stuff going on. But why do we try to face this life alone? Why do we try to muster up the strength and just, oh, I'm gonna will myself to do it? Why do we not take advantage of our God who tells us, give our burdens over to him, give them unto him. And so friends, this morning, maybe you need to be encouraged because of what faces you tomorrow, Monday morning, to give that anxiety, give that fear, give that frustration, give it unto the Lord for he cares for you. Our God not only engages us, but fortunately we do not have to wait until heaven for the presence of our King. We see this in Ephesians 2.13, James 4.8. We see that, that God is near to us, that he is, is ever present. He, he stands and he, he is always ready to receive us. However, we are the ones who run from him. He is faithful and consistent. He does not change or move. We, the creation, are the ones who move away from the holy God. You see, our parents, Adam and Eve, started this deadly trend, and sadly, we today follow in their footsteps. Our sin drives us away from God. Even as his children, those of us who are in Christ, who are his children, we, we feel, we believe, we, we are in, in a measure, we are removed from him and we feel like we're at an arm's distance, right? We know those people in our life that, that they keep us at an arm's distance, right? We wanna be friends with them, we wanna be BFFs and they keep us at an arm's distance. Friends, do you understand that God does not keep you, his creation at an arm's distance? We keep him at arm's distance because of our sin, because of our transgressions, because of the way we walk or don't walk with him in this life. Do you understand that God is omnipresent? He is present everywhere at all times. And this should encourage us as we feel distant from God. Our beliefs must drive our emotions rather than our emotions driving our beliefs. Some of us in here are emotional roller coasters and we need truth to direct us. We know truth if we read God's word. 
We don't know truth if we don't. God's word is ultimate truth. And we, those of us who are emotional, and I say we because I'm an emotional being, we must be solidified. We must be anchored in truth so that our emotions don't make shipwreck of our faith and of our life. Now, there are others of us in here that don't even know how to spell emotional. And so you're just like a walking zombie, right? And we won't pick on some of you people, all right? But regardless of if you are void of emotions or an emotional mess, church, we must be encouraged. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time, excuse me, from this time forth and forevermore. Motive number one for trusting in the Lord is the truth that God is engrossing. Motive two, God is holy. Look at verse three. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. God is holy and therefore desires his children to be holy. If you don't believe me, read 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 25. He will not allow the scepter of wickedness to rule his people. That's good news. That's encouraging for us this morning to know that he will not allow the scepter of wickedness to rule his people. However, notice we are not free completely from the effects of evil. We are, however, grateful that God through Jesus has broken the rod of the wicked according to Isaiah 14, 5. However, friends, let us not deceive ourselves into thinking the power of evil is not great. 1 John 5, 19 states, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Friends, we're fooling ourselves to believe or to think we are not influenced by evil, even on our best days. And so I wonder this morning, in what ways are you drawn to evil? Have you ever evaluated or analyzed your propensities toward evil or sin? Do you, do you take stock of your life, your actions, your motives, your whatever, to evaluate where and how is evil pulling you. Let me just ask you the question of all of us this past week. How many hours of TV did you watch versus how many minutes did you spend reading the Bible? Notice our TV consumption is easily measured in hours versus our Bible consumption in minutes. Friends, I'm not saying that TV's evil. But I was convicted this week, like many of you, I've been watching the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I love a little country v. country action, right? And so I, I love it. And so even at the beach, we, our, our family, right, was, was drawn around the TV and we're, you know, we're on the edge of our seats when it's a medal race, right? And so we're getting there and we're, we're screaming at the TV. And we're like, kick it, kick it, bring, bring it. And we're like, ah, oh. you know, we're in, we're all in, right? And there's nothing wrong with watching the Olympics. That's good, that's fun. That's great that you're spending time together as a family. But you know what I was convicted of? Is the fact that we, we sat daily around the TV and watched the Olympics. And you know what? How often do we as a family sit around God's word and read God's word 
and we're on the edge of our seat with anticipation and expectation as we read about the God who created, who sustains, and who cares for his creation. And we just can't wait to see what's gonna be revealed today. Do we model that for our kids? I, I, I'm inadequate at that, I'm anemic at that. And so I just, I, I was just convicted. Just not, once again, the Olympics are not bad. That's not sinful necessarily to watch that. But it helped me to understand how I am, am drawn toward things of this world as opposed to being drawn to the Lord of this world. And I, I just wonder, do you understand that you are gonna drift toward evil? You're never gonna drift toward God. Right, Kent Hughes in his um, incredible book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, he talks about the fact that it takes holy sweat, right? And so we, we understand the concept of sweat, that when you're out working in your yard, when you're working on your car, uh, when you're working on your home, whatever, whenever you're doing work, right, that, that sweat follows. And I, I think as Christians, we sometimes just think, well, we're just gonna, you know, laugh our way into, into holiness, and friends, we need to understand that it takes work to be obedient to God. It means we're going to have to sacrifice things. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to struggle with things. We're going to, have to work through things. And it's going to take sweat to get there. And so I wonder, do you have any holy sweat in your life? Understand you are prone to drift and it will take effort for you to follow your God to follow your king. We understand this in all aspects of our life, but I think sadly as Christians, we just think, well, you know, if God loves me, then he'll give me the desires to, to follow after him and it'll just, it'll just happen. Friends, we have to put in the effort, okay? To read God's word, to apply God's word, to say yes to him, to say no to self, to say no to the things of this world. God not only wants us to acknowledge our sin, but he wants us to repent. First John 1, 9 tells us that. And so I wonder this morning, are you the type of man or woman who admits when they are wrong? Whether with your kids, your family, or at work, do you, do you admit when you are wrong or do you try and justify your sin? Church, we need to be known as a people who confess and repent. Friends, nobody in your life expects you to be perfect. But as a Christian, the expectation by just cursory reading God's word is that you have the integrity to say, my bad, I blew that. that that's on me, my, my fault, will you please forgive me? I mean, we teach that to our children, but yet for some reason we, we don't look in the mirror and say it to ourselves. We don't say it to our spouse. We don't let someone else say it to us. But how dare you? How dare you try to tell me I'm a sinner? How dare you try to tell me? Friends, I'm just saying what God's word tells us, that we are sinners in need of a savior and our sin battle continues until we see Jesus face to face. And so do you know your problems? But better yet, do you know your savior? Thankfully, 1 John 4, 4 informs us, Christ is enough for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? Do you cling to that? Do you recite that when you are tempted? Jesus is enough. 
but do you know him? Do you know Jesus? And I'm not talking about, can you hasten back to someday when you said a prayer or you, or you filled in some graph, but, but is a testimony of your life of one of following Christ. We talked a few weeks ago about discipleship and how Christ, he never said, pray a prayer and, and do these things and blah, blah, blah. He said, follow me. And I just wonder, does your life, does your life, do your neighbors, do your coworkers, do they see someone who is following Christ? And I, I wonder the same thing about myself. Do my neighbors that live on Pine and Drive, do they understand that there's something different about Scott Hood who lives at 7512 Pine and Drive? Do I look different than all my other neighbors on my street? Do I look different? Do I act different? Do I respond different? Am I behaving differently? Do I treat my family different? Because friends, as followers of Christ, we are to be different. What does your life say about your relationship with Jesus? Are you known for trusting in the Lord. Church, please know the righteous can reach out to do wrong. Those of us in Christ are righteous because of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But understand, we can be tempted. And so I wonder, do you understand that God is holy and he expects you, his follower, to be holy? God is holy but thankfully, he and his holiness are engrossing. Our last motive, and we'll move quickly through this one, God is just. Look at verses four and five. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Do you want what you deserve? Be careful, because the Bible tells us we are not the good ones. None of us are good apart from Christ. So are you thankful for what Christ has done for you? Do you understand what a wretched sinner you are? Because I began by saying that we must have a bigger view of God and a better analysis of ourselves. And friends, sadly, too many of us, myself included, we think we're pretty good. What God's word says is that there is nothing good in us apart from Christ. And so do you understand what a sinner you are? But more importantly, do you understand what Romans 5.19 tells us? Because though we are a sinner separated from God, we find in Romans 5.19 that for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Friends, if we are in Christ, we are to be righteous. And do you understand our righteousness gives evidence, gives proof to our relationship with Christ. It's not calling back when you're a nine-year-old like me who, who cried out at a judgment house for Christ. That's not the, the soul like, oh yeah, I know I'm saved because I remember that time when I did that on Halloween night. No, that's not what saves me. Yes, I was saved instantly at that moment, but the fact that I walk with the God, I, I understand him and I live in obedience to him, that is the evidence of my salvation. You guys not confronting me saying, hey, Scott, I don't know if you're saved because you do, 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 do. Those things help prove that I know my king, that Jesus has transformed my life. And so I wonder, is the testimony of your life 
that you were righteous? Would anybody in your life describe you as righteous? Friends, righteousness is what we long for. I wanted to share Paul's prayer in, in Philippians 1, 9. Well, I'm just going to. In Philippians 1, Paul says this, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Does that sound like our daily prayers? Does that sound like who we are? Friends, we often get bogged down in our need of justice and tertiary issues. But might we be encouraged this morning to know that God will accurately see, judge, and sentence the good and the bad. Praise be to God that he sees all, everything. He sees it and he will judge it. It's not our job to judge it. It's his job. Our job is to understand who God is, what Jesus has done for us, and respond to that amazing truth, trusting in the Lord. Because the Lord is engrossing, holy, and just, we can trust in the Lord no matter what comes our way in this life. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are our confidence to face tomorrow, come what may. Where is your confidence? May the Lord give you peace in trusting in him, which leads to resolve in your daily affairs for the King of Kings. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word. We thank you that you are on your throne, that you communicate with us your creation. You have given us your word and it describes for us why we can trust in you. And so Lord, I pray for every man, woman, child in this room. Father God, that all of us, whether we're behind this podium or we're in the pew, God, that we would be convicted of where we are out of step with your revealed will for our life. And so would you search us and try us and would you have your way with us? And so God, we pray for you to be exalted in our lives. Help us, Holy Spirit, to that end, we pray. In the name of Christ. Amen.